Hey everyone, Sunday is your even more fun day when you have NFLSundayTicket.tv. Why only watch one Sunday out of market game when you can watch all of them? Catch it all with NFLSundayTicket.tv. Sunday games are like snacks, the more the better. So don't miss a single one with NFLSundayTicket.tv. Good news, NFL fans, DirecTV has expanded the service. If you live in an apartment or big city where DirecTV service is not available, you can now get NFL Sunday Ticket without a satellite. To see if you're eligible, go online to NFLSundayTicket.tv and stream every NFL Sunday Ticket game this season to follow your favorite team no matter where you live. Use promo code THERINGER at checkout to save 15%. Exclusive student discounts also available. Sports are finally back, and they only want to celebrate their returns with Buffalo Wild Wings, where the wings come in 24 sauces and seasonings. When you watch at home, make sure you watch with a wing bundle. Sports are back, and there's no better way to watch than with Buffalo Wild Wings. It's the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark, joined today by a very special guest, the guru of quarterback tiers, one of the most plugged-in guys anywhere in football journalism. It's athletic senior writer Mike Sando. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing well. It's good to be here, Kevin. My debut, I believe. Your debut, absolutely. I met you in a press box at the Hall of Fame game, and I think 2012. I don't know why you were there. I don't know why I was there, but we sat next to each other. You explained... I think you explained expected points to me at that point. Wow. You know, that's great that you say the that. QBR. So I know why I was there. Okay, so I was the I'm the Seattle Area Hall of Fame selector. So I think that was the year Cortez Kennedy went in. So yes. you know, I don't go every year, but if if I'm presenting Cortez or Walter Jones, I'll go back because I know those guys, you know, it's a fun little uh get together. But I'm glad you brought up EPA and QBR because some of that is really a reason why I'm here today with with the quarterback tier thing, which you kind of think is it's sort of the opposite of the, you know, all right, I'm pulling guys for their opinions as opposed to just looking at the EPA. But this has all been sort of a search for me for kind of ground truth in quarterbacks, right? And QBR, right. I was the number one evangelist of that at ESPN. I will say this. I remember, so the Hall of Fame, it's like three days, two days, whatever it is. And you were to the right of me and Wright Thompson was to the left of me. And I'm not totally sure why I was breaking up the ESPN thing, but I do remember having a very good time just listening to the both perspectives. Very different, right? From more of the the human feature element, you yeah. from the this, the analytics element. That was quite a, a two-day period. Um, so we're going to break down quarterbacks. That's it. That's the show, the quarterback episode. You do the quarterback tiers every year. You came out with it last month. It's one of the best pieces of content that anyone does in in football, quite frankly. And you've done a couple of other things since then. You did the breakdown with strength of schedule and all that. But this all centers around one thing, which is who are the best quarterbacks in football and how is this developing? I'm curious, Mike, you said something and you've said something over when you talk about the quarterback tiers uh, that I found fascinating, which is when you're pulling these guys, you almost find out more about the evaluators and the teams than you do the quarterbacks each year. And I'd like you to expand on this. You've been doing this for seven years. And I'm curious how the evaluators have changed their opinions on just the quarterback position, what they look for. Do they look for anything differently? How do coaches view it? How do GMs view it? Analytics guys, whatever it is. When you start polling in 2013 versus polling in 2020, how do those opinions uh, evolve, I guess you could say? Yeah, well, the, the primary basis is the same, which is uh, the more help you need as a quarterback to succeed, the lower you are at thought of right so right. the 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 better you're able to operate with the less amount of support we're not just talking about 
the players on your team, teammates, that's important, but we're also talking about, okay, um, you know, can you, when you're down 28 to three in the Super Bowl, have a chance to throw when we don't have a play action game, we don't have this amazing run game, right? That that's the essence of the quarterback tiers. And that hasn't changed. I think clearly what's changed is the NFL has developed more of an open mind has we've seen even you know, one of the longest tenured coaches in Andy Reed had Brad Childress studying college yep. offenses. I think that the initial skepticisms on a uh, Russell Wilson because of his height, uh, because uh, he, somebody like that hadn't succeeded to the level that he has really um, that's definitely changed. I mean, I think there's much more of, you know, Hey, we're not going to, it's not my way, the highway with my system. Right. And so I think that's been a very positive development. And some of these guys maybe have a greater chance for some success, even if they don't get to the top tier. I, I think that's clearly changed. Yeah. And, and that, that's, I think the overarching les- lesson of the past half decade, I would guess, is that you can't be a coach who puts square pegs in round holes and you can't just say, and this used to be, I mean, Mike, you know, this, there was 40 years, maybe more of, we're going to get this guy and he's going to run our system. And if he can't run our system, he's yep. out of here. And Absolutely. I think that making the system around your quarterback is the prevailing trend, if there is one, of the past five years. Brad Childress, as you said, he when he was out of work, he came and he was a spread game analyst. I talked to him back then, and he told yep. me about how Carson Wentz was the perfect kind of uh, marriage between quote unquote pro style and spread style. And he's able to do it all. And then we see that in Doug Peterson's offense, you know, what, two years later and, and he looks like MVP candidate. And I think that there are, I, I I'm really fascinated to see where this goes because you start to look at a team like the Ravens who built one of the best offensive infrastructures ever around Lamar Jackson and I think if you're an owner now and you can get a special player like Lamar Jackson, who, by the way, inexplicably dropped to number 32 in the first round, if you can get a guy like that, I think you're going to see more and more teams say, we'll just get this guy. We'll figure things out after that. We'll hire the the, the coaches. We'll get the we'll get the players needed. But I think that's the path forward. And I when Lamar was when he was on one of our shows a couple of months ago, I asked him this and I said, you know, what is the overarching lesson from you? And he said, Get guys who want to win and figure the rest out later. And I found that very enlightening. Oh, yeah. 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 So I think your general premise, I'm going to agree with. I think the specific application to Lamar, I'm, we have to acknowledge how special he is. Can you name two other guys ever in the history of the world who could do what he does, the well, way he does I, it? I guess the point I'm trying to make is how many guys throughout history would have been like that had they been given a chance? Oh, no doubt. And so we're going yeah. to see guys come up. But I think he's so special. Uh, that even some of the other guys that we've seen who have been given a chance, right? Uh, and just right. go go back through the years. Uh, Steve Young, Rich Gannon was an yep. athletic guy. Randall Cunningham was an athletic guy. Michael Vick was an athletic guy. Colin Kaepernick was an athletic guy. None of them even close to the ability to uh, run in the manner that he runs. And we'll talk about this, I'm sure. Still, in the end, when you're down in the Super Bowl, like Patrick Mahomes is, that's not what's winning you the game. So there is an element of what you still have to be able to do to be to check every single box at the quarterback position. All right, let's start with Tom Brady. He is the number one guy in tier two. I think that, and this kind of goes to what we're talking about as far as just conventional wisdom in the league. I think that the NFL as a whole is going to hold on to Tom Brady as a tier one quarterback for as long as they possibly can because you default to the guy you've seen do it over and over and over again. When you think about 
the league and the people you've talked to dropping him to tier two, what stands out? Is that just last year the weapons weren't as good, and so now all of a sudden he gets into that zone where he needs that infrastructure? Yeah, I think there's a feeling that, um, hey, it got bad for him last year, and he wasn't able to overcome it as well as maybe he could have earlier um, in his career. And I don't know how fair that is. You know, I was a little bit surprised that he didn't hold on one, you know what I mean, sort of yeah, get of one more year uh, than you deserve maybe uh, right. in the top tier. But I think all of these guys, to some extent, need a baseline level of support, right? And I think, what what is that? You know, at what to what extent did that go away? Now, I know people that have watched all of his film for the last five years and think he's still tier one and that it just fell off enough around him that he couldn't quite uh, do it. And they expect him to really bounce back. And there's other people who, you know, you kind of look, if you really look in recent years, they've, they've had a great run game. They've been a 21 personnel yeah. team more than others. And uh, he's had Rob Gronkowski at times, the best tight end and best, maybe one of the best, five receiving targets in dependent of position. So um, this year will be telling, right? I mean, I think if he has a top five season, just eyeballing it, right? Not even watching the film of it. Just look at it. Does he have an amazing year? I think it will affirm that maybe he was knocked out of it prematurely. Yeah. What kind uh, when you look at Brady and you look at the book on Brady is Tampa Bay set up to be his ideal type of team or is it a different team he needs right now? Or is that, is the Mike Evans sort of Arian system and the pretty good offensive line? Is that what he needs right now? I think they need to tailor it to him so that the protections are there. You know, if you look at, if you look at all the quarterbacks, Bruce Arians has had, we can put together an amazing tape of them just getting the snot knocked out of them. Right. Right. I mean, it's uh, all of them, Carson Palmer, Aaron or Andrew Luck, you know, um, all the, all the way through yeah. A lot of these guys. Now, it doesn't mean that they can't adjust it, but I think the protection element of it being in sync with Skarnecchia, in sync with McDaniels, calling the game a certain way, some of that has to be adapted over or else I think that he doesn't like to get hit, right? I mean, he's not in a position at this age to take those kind of shots that Carson Palmer was taking five years ago. Yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be fascinating. I want you to break a tie in everybody's minds because I think that there's a real argument so you have the 2016 quarterbacks. You have Goff, Dak, and, and Wentz. And all of them have had incredible success in this league to varying degrees. Um, and you have the JV version of that, which is Baker, Josh Allen, and Sam Darnold, who have not had roaring success, but are also kind of tied together by the draft class and by their relative wow. stature with everybody else. And I'm curious, if you're looking at Baker, Darnold, and Allen right now, and I saw the, I saw the tears, but if, if when you're talking to the 50 guys you talk to, who is pegged as having the best career right now of those three guys? Wow, that is such a great question, because on all three of them, I'm like, I see the limitations before I see the upside. Right. 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 Um, with them. So if they were going to be like in a draft, that's a great one. Yeah. Like, who who would people take? I mean. It's probably to some extent Baker because they've seen less of him. <laughs> that's something how it is. It's like, well, we're not really sure he sucks. You yeah, know? Um, right. Uh, that's a little bit part of this, right? I mean, um, I think you could find guys to herald each one of them. But with Allen, there's definitely a hardcore crowd that just thinks he doesn't have enough field for the game. You watch him when he scrambles, he gets hit like knockout hits. And then the actual thing. So we'll, we'll see a little bit this year. With Darnold, he's the opposite of that. He's all instincts and doesn't, you know, he's always going off schedule and he's almost better doing that. And 
you would like to see him just sort of settle down and, and play the offense. And then Baker Mayfield, it's more of like the makeup, the leadership, the things he says, right. the maturity, right? So, but I think you can grow out of some of the maturity things. Um, and maybe for that reason, you would peg it with Mayfield, but that's not a real ringing endorsement. Yeah, it's going to be really hard. And I don't really know what happens. And good thing they're, you know, for extensions, I don't even know where you begin on any of the three. I, I think it's it's really hard to figure that out. Buffalo likes Allen, though, don't you? Do, oh, I, yeah, I believe, no, of course. Yeah, I believe that they'll pay him. I believe that they'll pay him. And then with the Jets, it sort of depends who's in charge, right? Who the who the coach is and all that. I mean, where they are in their development. I mean, this year, because I think that, that Joe Douglas is playing a very good long game as far as the building projects. I like what he did in the draft, but that's a it's a really bad time to have a quarterback do for his fifth year option. Yeah, if you were to figure out how to screw up Sam Darnold coming out, would you change anything? Right. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, mean <laughs> it's amazing. And that's one of those things where I wish the Jets hadn't given Mike McCagney that extra draft. Oh. And, and, oh. and I wish that they had moved on, either never hired Adam Gase or or never hired, uh, or excuse me, or fired him after last season. I, I just, there's so many missteps. And kind of like we we're talking about, the, the, the goal here is to draft a quarterback and do everything you can to put him in position to win. They drafted a quarterback, and then I wasn't it wasn't intentional sabotage, but it was the closest thing you're gonna get. And I'll say that about Buffalo. You know, they they've probably done the most to try to help their guy the right yeah. way, right? They've given him a defense so he doesn't have to score 30 points a game. And now they're trying to add some weaponry, right? I mean, they've they were active in free agency before. And now you add bigs in a trade. I think this year will be very telling. I think I, I would love, I, I think we'll be able to answer the question a lot better after this season. Yeah, no, I mean, and that, that's why I think it's so fascinating. That's why I asked the question is just that those, those three guys in my mind will always be t- tethered together in the same way the 2016 guys were. The difference is that all three guys have either been, the two of them have been MVP candidates and, and one of them yeah. has made a Super Bowl. Uh, one of them has played in a Super Bowl, at least. Is there a guy when you're doing this that you think there's the biggest disconnect between how he's viewed in NFL buildings versus how he's viewed by people like us, the media, the fans, and and wh- where yeah. is the biggest gulf there? Yeah, well, there's a segment of media that thinks Aaron Rodgers isn't any good anymore because his EPA is low. Right. You know, so there's a segment. My friend uh, Ben Baldwin, at, who writes for us at the Athletic, you know, has been hard on that, and he almost jokes about it. But um, that's not at all what you know. He got four second tier votes, so there, you know, there's a few people. Uh, you know, kind of picking nits with him. But I think for the most part, um, he's still seen Matt as being LaFleur, able to... Matt LaFleur voting him uh, tier four. Yeah. <laughs> you write the one vote. Yeah, sorry, the one vote. Ah, yeah, he's uh, Hey, he's coach, unranked. I'm sorry. We're going to just, yeah. you know, not include yeah. yours this yeah. year. It's really not fair. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that there's... And even the Packers have fed this, you know, with the draft. The, the, you know, they've drafted a quarterback now. And so I think we can all sort of see the meter ticking, you know, right on, uh, you know, the time is ticking here on Rodgers for one or two more years in Green Bay, maybe. And yet everyone who has to play him or watches him thinks he's got all the powers he's had in the past. And that, you know, you just look at the supporting cast and it's a lot different, not as good. And maybe this is not what, you know, he may or may not be loving what they're doing offensively the last couple of years either. So, let me ask you a question. So I know you've, you've told the story before about guys who look at just 500 plays of Michelle Watson or whatever, but how much do guys, if they're not playing them or not game planning for them, or if they're not on the other side of the ball, quite frankly, how much do head coaches or coordinators who have nothing to do with a player watch a player like Aaron Rodgers? How often does it happen? When do they do it? And how educated do they typically, uh, do they typically get? Because, you know, it's funny 
when I, I talked to Jim Garoppolo last year around this time, and he was injured, obviously, the year before, and he had Mike Shanahan in. Uh, Kyle had Mike come in and just hang out with with Jimmy and just just kind of coach him up when he was injured and, and nobody was able to work with him. And he said that one of the biggest things for him was just watching other offenses because he never done it before. There there yeah. was no reason or no incentive to sit around and watch right. Patrick Mahomes yep. or watch Drew Brees. And he said he spent a handful of weeks with Mike Shanahan just watching these concepts and saying, oh, my God. So yep. how much does this happen at the league level where they actually study this stuff just to see what's what? Yeah. So if you're if someone like Rogers, I mean, you're going to have a baseline knowledge, you know, a head coach will have baseline knowledge from just watching them over the years. You've seen the playoff games, you have a feel. And then if you uh, are preparing for common opponents, they see the cross tape. So he's, you know, a, lot of, a lot of times you'll say, Hey, you actually had him on about three or four cross tapes last year. And you know, I, what we weren't preparing for him, but here's what I saw. And then you'll get like the personnel evaluator, the pro personnel guy who, if he's doing his job, then he's seen, a lot, right? He's, he's keeping more of an inventory. And so, um, he's going to have maybe a little bit more. And then yeah, you will get some people who will say, you know, Kyle, we haven't seen a uh, car in a couple of years. And, you know, I don't, uh, I don't have as great of a feel on him, but then that guy might have a great feel on five other guys. Right. So you'll, right. you'll occasionally get somebody and they'll, they'll admit who just doesn't have as strong of a feel. And that's why, you know, I don't know if 50 people is the right number, but you talk to a lot of them and it sort of evens out. But you'll see some outlier votes in there, right? Where you're like, oh, how did, who gave this guy a, you know, a three, you know, or whatever. And it's just, it's just part of it. Yeah, no, and, and it's a fascinating part of it because I think that there are some guys in this league who just study the hell out of other other trends and schemes and teams and some who are just, they really just want to focus on their own building. And, and it's really fascinating. Yep. All right, Derek Carr. I just, there's a lot of smart people who have made the case that he was better than his reputation last year. And then there's some people who are set kind of dug in on the theory that John Gruden doesn't like him and they've been trying to upgrade. That's why you bring in a Marcus Mariota. Anything there with the Raiders that we need to be on alert for as far as them being a sleeper team this year? Well, John's always got his eye on the next quarterback. I mean, I don't right. think it's, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think John Gruden, I think John Gruden's love is fickle. And I think, I mean, heck, I, I know John pretty well. I, I traveled with him for Monday Night Football for three or four yeah, years. Of course. I and I that. went to all the Gruden quarterback camps and stuff. But he, I think it's clear that by his actions and what he says that, and just by what we know about John Gruden, that Derek Carr is not probably his ideal quarterback, right? I mean, he, yeah. he likes the, he wants the, the tough guy, Rich Gannon, even Brad Johnson, the guy, just kind of a crusty, salty leader type guy for your team. I'm not sure Mariota's that either, although John loved him coming out. But I think when people criticize Derek Carr in the league, uh, a component of that is they they just don't like the way he carries himself. They don't like the way he is or isn't accountable, the things he says. It's kind of like when Kirk Cousins says, hey, no fans, that'd be kind of cool. People are like, that's my quarterback. Woo, let me, yeah. you know, you know what I mean? And yeah. there's an element of that with, not only Derek Carr, but the kind of the, all the cars, right? I mean, uh, um, and so he, there's a rub me the wrong way thing that people it, just in the league see in general, and yeah. then think that think that they know that extends to John Gruden, and so we're everyone's watching. And yeah, they they paid Mariota, and um, I'd be surprised if John's not excited about Mariota. Yeah, and it's funny because, and this is not uncommon, but it is notable. I remember someone, someone who knows things, reaching out to me two years ago. I forget what it was, and them saying like, 
you know, no one really, and this is maybe it's not a fault of his, but it certainly is a pattern. There's a lot of relationships between quarterbacks and John Gruden that don't end well. And that end <laughs> with, with the quarterback being a little bit upset. And uh, there's just a pattern there. And, and I, I think a lot of that is because quite frankly, he's ruthless with quarterbacks. And, and that's kind of what we're talking about is that he is, he's, he is such a, he is such a command of the position. I think that, that there's just certain things he does that are a little bit out of left field. I mean, I think last year, him just randomly on August 10th or whatever saying, I love Nathan Peterman. I just, if you're Derek Carr, you just kind of look at that and say, what, what is going on here? Uh, he's doing the same thing with Mario this year. I, I love this guy. So it's, it's all, all very strange and all very entertaining, I guess you could say. All right. Yes. Give us a regression candidate this year. Give us the guy who, when you're talking around in the NFL circles, is just, just, he was fool's gold last year or, or not, or just is going to come back down to earth. Okay. It's mostly a function of the old guys, right? I mean, I think right. at the top, uh, at the top, anyone who's a younger guy, uh, people are generally excited. And now some people will think that Lamar Jackson, you know, uh, defense would be prepared for him, you know, may not be quite as good, but no one thinks he's going to be a bad player, right? right. Who, who's already up there. So I'll give you a, a way to figure this out. So a year ago, that guy was Baker Mayfield. Everybody loved him after the first year. And he kind of came in at the bottom of the second tier. And, and this year, he's middle of he's about tier three. And that's probably where he should be. The guy who's like that this year is Kyler Murray. But I don't sense people feeling that way. Now, I didn't sense him feeling that way last year either, right? That's why he was that high. Uh, but are people... Kyler Murray got is the lowest rated guy who got a tier one vote, right? So um, there's a lot of excitement for Kyler Murray, and I think it's pretty much justified. But after only one year to be ahead of Kirk Cousins and Goff and Garoppolo and you know some guys who've had some success in the league and even been to a Super Bowl in a couple of cases, like it wouldn't surprise me if if uh, you know it just didn't he didn't just automatically pick up where he left off in year two even though he's keeping the same coach and he's got a new receiver now and we can make the case that he's our big riser this next year. Well, I also think that there's just a debate of whether or not there can be a riser this year when there's no OTAs and there's no, and no one was on a football field in any meaningful way from March until, until August 18th, essentially when they put pads on. And I, I, I just, I don't know what that looks like. I'm not smart enough to know what that looks like. And by the way, I keep talking to people whether that's GMs or whoever, and saying, what is this year going to look like? And nobody knows because you never seen anything like this. And the, the closest analogy is 2011, and that was totally different. And there wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't hard to travel back then. Um, so I don't know. It, it's it's taking any big leap. And now the, the year one to year two leap is always the biggest leap. There is really statistically no leap from year two to three. And with quarterbacks, it just doesn't really happen. And I I think that I'm curious to see how that that yeah. plays out this year. Well, we should we should think that the really experienced, polished players should have a leg up going into the year because they don't need all of that work, right? If you think of Aaron Rodgers, it took him two or three years early in his career to really become great, right? I right. mean, to just the things that make a veteran quarterback great with just your your handling of the game and and drawing people off sides and looking over and winking at this receiver right and knowing how, how that safety is going to rotate these reps now are really important for sam darnold and josh allen to have right so yeah uh, a trubisky right all these guys that are really green need that so i, I would think that it's a 
greater advantage to be the master of your craft in the same system this year? Opposite question. Who takes the leap this year? If, if anybody. Yeah, well, it was interesting. So I can kind of... I can kind of, you sort of gauge the optimism of people's voting, right? So if, if you're right. a GM and I'm calling you and I'm like, hey, sorry, so what do you think about this quarterback? You can say, ah, three, or you can say, you know, three. Yeah. And, and then I, I picked that up. So the three, the excited three guy was Daniel Jones. Hey, so Daniel, Daniel right. Jones came in at the second to last spot of tier three. So he's actually right below Sam Darnold. But I thought people were more excited about Daniel Jones than Sam Darnold. And some of the reason for that is because the way the tier structure is set up, if you haven't played a lot, like Daniel Jones has, what, 12 or 13 starts, sometimes people will just give him a four, kind of need more information. Whereas the fours that Darnold got are more like, you know what, I've, I'm not sure. You know, it's like a negative four. So... <laughs> You know, is there enough help around Daniel Jones? Is he he's got a new system? How's all this going to go? I don't know, but I think people people were sort of more optimistic on him than I thought they would be. Do you think that there would there is even though Daniel Darnold was ranked ahead of Daniel Jones that there is generally just more optimism about him? And do you think if there was a if you had all all the guys draft who they want for the next ten years that Jones actually might get that edge? I think he would. Just off of what I was talking to, I think there was enough yeah. people that were optimistic. So like the way the voting came down, basically the difference between the two is nine additional voters put Daniel Jones in the fourth tier as opposed to the three compared to compared to Darnold. OK, well, those are just people who, you know what, um, we didn't play the Giants this year and I don't have a real, you know, he hasn't done enough, hasn't played a whole season. Give him a four. It's not, I've seen this guy for three years, he's a four. You know what I mean? So I think that's what it is. I, I just sense the optimism. And some of that could be that we overvalue guys when we haven't seen them fail, right? We haven't seen them play enough. There's some of that. That's why quarterbacks go really high in the draft because we see that glass is three quarters full. Um, but he, he was one to me that I thought, I also thought, I thought people were more down on Josh Allen and he actually made one of the bigger jumps from last year. So, you know, um, do people think he's going to go through the roof? No, but I thought people, I thought he could be lower than he was. Sunday games are like snacks. The more, the better. So don't miss a single one with NFL Sunday ticket.tv. You know what you want football and not just a game or two, all of them, but you can't get direct TV where you live. No problem. Stream 2020 NFL Sunday ticket on your favorite devices. No satellite required and get every live out of market game every Sunday afternoon. Go online to nflsundayticket.tv now to see if you're eligible. Pro tip, use promo code THERINGER at checkout to save 15%. Sports are finally back, and the only way to celebrate the return is with Buffalo Wild Wings. There's no fans in the crowd, but that doesn't mean that real fans aren't at home cheering louder than ever from the edge of their seat. And they can still get that sports bar feeling with wings from B-Dubs. The only thing as exciting as sports being back is crushing boneless or traditional wings at home. In any of our 24 sauces and seasonings, like original buffalo, wild, or Asian zing. So order a wing bundle and get traditional wings and boneless wings and fries for the house. Because sports are back, and there's no better way to watch than Buffalo Wild Wings. So order at buffalowildwings.com or through the Buffalo Wild Wings app. Because now more than ever, we need sports, and sports needs us. At participating locations for a limited time, bundles only for takeout or delivery through Buffalo Wild Wings app or website, and not valid with any other offer. All right. Is there a, a difference in the makeup 
or a big variance in the makeup of how the league con- is constituted in the sense that, you know, I, you and I both have the same experience probably, which is we'll go to one place and they're talking about efficiency and analytics and they're talking about, you know, managing the cap in a, in a really heady way. And they're talking about five years in the future. And then you go to some places and they've given no thought to the cap. They've, they've, <laughs> they don't, they don't have an analytics department and you know, they, they don't know what efficiency is right then. They say efficiency. Yeah. Touchdowns are efficiency. And, and by the way, there are good teams who do, who do both. And there are bad teams who do, who operate as both. No doubt. But is there a, a quarterback where there was a, a pretty clear divide between, I guess you could say analytics-driven teams or younger teams, whatever you want to call it, versus the the older, more traditional guys. Is there a quarterback who there were where where there were more uh, where there was a divide along those lines? I think that I think that Aaron Rodgers is that guy. Yes. Okay. So I do include some people in the survey who are sort of um, cap analysts, analytics type people. It's not most of them, but there will be. You know, it may not, it's probably less than 10 of the 50, but, but I try to have a wide array of types of people in it, right? And there'll be GMs and the head coaches and coordinators and personnel directors. Um, but of the four tier two votes for Rogers, I think two of them would have been in that sort of analytics kind of cap window. And that's what we were talking about earlier with like somebody like Ben Baldwin, who's really into the the data and the EPA probably makes up a more disproportionate amount of his evaluation. Right. Right. Um, you, you can't help, but look at green Bay and say, that's really fallen off. And you could, you could plausibly attribute that to Rogers. So to the extent that, that the statistics and the numbers are compelling to you and driving your evaluation, then somebody like Rogers is going to be lower. Um, but for people that are tuned into other aspects of the game, more disproportionately, that's not going to be the case. I actually thought Rogers could have been lower in this because I do pay attention to, I mean, I'm into QBR and EPA and all that stuff too. I, I pay attention to it. Um, but, but for me, it's maybe a little bit more of a component than the driver. And for people in the league, it's probably something that some of them aren't aware of <laughs> and some of them are, and then some of them are really into, but it's a smaller number. Is there any Mahomes skepticism at all? Or is this unanimous? Because I mean, obviously, I, I think it's unanimous. But when you're talking to guys, is it all right, Mahomes? We got it. And I know that that it was there were 50 tier one votes. I get that. Yeah. But was anybody like, well, Andy Reid, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, that that infrastructure? No, I don't think so. You know, I do think that pe- people will say things like this. Look, if you put Russell Wilson in that offense with those guys yeah. or Aaron Rodgers, their numbers would be the same or better as good as Mahomes. That that. But that's not a knock on Mahomes. That doesn't mean that, you know, Mahomes wouldn't be good without that. It just means that, wow, this guy is a, he might be the best race car driver and he also happens to have the best car. You know what I mean? But no yeah. one's saying, oh, Mahomes would be tier two if uh, he was playing for Seattle right. or Green Bay. No one's saying that. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's unlike anything we've ever he seen. He got seven tier two votes a year ago, but that was all just the yeah, yeah. hardcore of, hey, you know what? The guy played tier one. He's my MVP. I just want to see it again. And they saw it yeah. again. And now they're 50 out of 50 and no one's picking any holes. It's almost boring to write about it. I was like, I don't have any really many of that comments on Mahomes because it's like a given. <laughs> so Lamar is that guy this year. He's seventh uh-huh. on the list here. Yeah. Is that is that a mixture of they 
appreciate what John Harbaugh did, putting him in a position to succeed as far as help goes and kind of the we need to see it again kind of skepticism? Lamar's difference is that everybody thinks Mahomes can throw to win the game when everything's stripped away from him. And right. that is a, you know, I've really gone in my mind as the game's evolved. I'm like, okay, do we need to tweak what the tiers are, right? And there's a peer passing component to being in tier one. And peer pass is what I described before. It's Mahomes down by two scores against a really good 49er defense um, late in the game. And the 49ers are scared to death because right. he's going to throw every play now and they're going to win the game. Whereas for Lamar Jackson, he throws it 58 times in his last game and they score 12 points because it's hard. That's the hardest part of the game, right? So when you strip away all of those things that make him be unleash what makes him great, that's why he's not. In, that's why he wasn't unanimous tier one. There's 16 tier one votes for Lamar, where they're like, he's the MVP of the league. I don't care what you say, Pierre Pass. <laughs> he's what you got to prepare for. He's different. He's tier one, and and I get it. But to the extent that you think the end of the game when you have to throw the ball and none of that matters factors, which I think is there is a piece for that. That's why he wasn't unanimous or more tier one and, and even higher than he was, even though he made the biggest jump of anybody. So Russell Wilson, same deal as Mahomes, 50 top tier votes. Yep. Makes sense. Everybody loves Russell Wilson. In the league, what is the sense about the the system Pete Carroll has built around him? Almost kind of the let Russ cook debate. I don't want this podcast to eat itself every single week by getting into the same Russell Wilson debate, but I think it's important, especially when you're talking about people around the league who watch this stuff. What is the sense of the situation Russell Wilson has put in from a league standpoint? Yeah, I feel like it's divided. So most people feel like, okay, he hasn't been helped enough through the just looking at the receivers they've had over the years, right? I mean, it hasn't been a Julio Jones uh, lineup there. So there's some people who say, um, you know what? I actually think they shouldn't be throwing a a ton more because uh, personnel-wise, nothing against Russell, just personnel-wise, they're not really built for that. Uh, So there's a component of that. There's some people who will say um, they definitely should be tapping the gas a little more, right? They need to be, they, they need to take more advantage of this player, especially early in the games. There's a component of that. But it's not outraged the way that it is, uh, you know, from just an, a pure analytics standpoint, right? Especially two years ago, they were the most run-heavy offense early in games since Tim Tebow, but, you know, two years ago. I actually talked to Pete about it. I did a pretty fun story on it. And then last year, they came back a little bit. So if they don't move to the middle of the pack or towards the top, you know, more past this year, I think we will see um, more people in the league think that they should do that. Um but it's not a it's not an overwhelming, it's just a component of people. When you think about this season, how it plays out, you talk to and one thing I want to make clear to everybody is that it's not like you panel fifty people in the spring and then never talk to a scout <laughs> or a or a GM or a coach again. You are one of the most plugged in people I know of in football, as far as from a media standpoint. When you think about this season, do you think that the tier one guys or even the tier two guys, just guys who can throw really pretty, unguardable passes? Do they have more of an advantage than normal because of just how flat-footed defenses are going to be? And do you think that there's going to be a gulf that opens up a little bit at, between teams who can just do whatever they want in the passing game? Because we saw this in 2011 when defenses just took September and October to get their act together. Um, do you see that being a significant thing in 2020? I do. I, I believe that's going to be exacerbated. The, the upper-tier quarterback is going to have an advantage. Um, now, I've actually been talking to folks about this the last couple of days, and I followed up today because that was the one thing that before the show, you know, when I said, hey, you know, yeah. is there anything you want me to research? That was one. I actually checked in, had a good conversation with someone today about that. Now, some people will say, hey, 
the defenses have had actually more install time this year because what's happened, unlike 2011, is we had all these Zoom meetings, right? right. So the installation defensively, and maybe even offensively for that standpoint, could be more extensive than it was in 2011, right? You could have had more time. But, but to actually rep it and time it up, Right. I do think that that experienced quarterback, you know, the Rogers is the Brady, you know, Brady's in a new system that could be a little, uh, you know, he could have his own challenges there, but Wilson, uh, Mahomes, I do think those guys will have an advantage. And then remember this year too, the uh, 85 decibel cat is the cutoff, yeah. uh, um, you know, for how much noise is going to be in the stadium. So I would think it's not going to be like a quiet auditorium that's totally silent, but that's going to help, right? The quarterback on the road being able to communicate. Yeah, no, for sure. And and I, I think that the Zoom meeting thing is so fascinating to me because what can you learn there? What is the upper limits? I don't think football teams know. I don't think teams know at this point what it is. If you're the Bengals or the Browns or the Steelers, in your opinion, in, in, in researching this, can they catch up to Lamar Jackson by just having a bunch of Zoom meetings about him and then having <laughs> 14 padded practices in late August? <laughs> Uh, catch up to him. No, I mean, I think that stuff helps. Uh, I think it does help. I I think the zoom thing is really going to be good because people, everyone had to learn it. It wasn't this, you know, the gap that it used to exist between people. You joke about some older guy who doesn't know how to check his email. Right. Right. I think that's gone. I mean, I think, I think there is going to be a component that helps on that, but you're right. I mean, I I mean the 14 practices, I think Bill Parcells said something yesterday or this Mm -hmm. week he had a birthday where he was like, you know, I had such and such. It was a way huger number of. See, I think he said he had he had fifty padded practices before his first regular season game. Yeah, which I don't know if we need fifty, but but for <laughs> for timing up stuff and your exotic packages and all that, I think early in the season against uh, a real master of the position quarterback, um, yeah. no doubt that guy's going to have the advantage. But I think some of the guys at the other end who are really green could be at a disadvantage. You know, somebody like Mitch Trubisky probably needs yeah. every rep he can get to do that. And that could be tough. You're, if early in the year they're playing Green Bay, <laughs> you know, and Rodgers is just a master of, of oh checking off this and that and changing the play, you know? Well, and then there's also just the teams that want to rebuild and churn rosters this year aren't able to do it. I mean, how did you're, you're in the Seattle area? How did the Seahawks get really good at the beginning of last decade? Well, they made more transactions than anybody else. They would churn, they would have a guy in on Monday, have him out by Thursday, bring somebody else in. Pete Carroll would teach him how to play defensive back. And then they you know, signed Lendale White for crying out loud. Yeah. Okay. They were trying everything. <laughs> if you were an NFL player in 2011 and did not get signed by the Seahawks, you should take that <laughs> as an insult. Okay. Their alumni mailer is yeah. really big. Yeah, <laughs> it's huge. It's huge. They had to have a cutoff at some point where they just said, if you didn't play a game for us, you can't, you don't, you don't get a you don't get invited to get a sideline pass, right? So I, I just think that the fact that there was no rookie mini camps or the fact that you just can't bring in, they're trying out guys now. You know, I, I was monitoring pretty closely kind of the mid-tier veteran and what that looks like this year. But it looks like a lot of those guys, because of the opt-outs or, or because of just the weirdness of it all, have been signed. You know, AQ Shipley yesterday was signed by Tampa Bay. He's a guy who I didn't – I was monitoring those types of guys because I don't know – if those guys, because it, travel was hard and, and they didn't even have tryouts until what camp started, maybe that guy gets squeezed out of the league. But no, I, I think most of those guys are are at least getting a chance on teams. I think it's the older guys and the younger guys, you know, age 38 or 22, who are being more squeezed out. But if you're trying to build a team right now, you're at a tremendous disadvantage. And you don't get even the rookie mini camps. You know, Malcolm Butler, 
Um, I mean, it, 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 this is a guy who who showed up with no expectations because uh, the story goes his his forty yard dash time was off because he went to a small school and the, the tape wasn't very good and all that stuff. And and that if you're trying to find a diamond in the rough right now, that's that's not available to you. And so I think it's a a bad year to be an up and coming GM. I am with you 100%. I think it's going to be really fascinating once the year's over to go back and look at who did well, who didn't do well, what number of young players or draft picks um, contributed, started, um, you know, had a decent grade or whatever uh, compared to past years. And it's it's almost got to be different. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. All right, let's roll through some of the top guys here on your QB tier. And I just want you to kind of outline what the conventional wisdom is or what you learned that maybe surprised you in your in in your evaluation here or, or your paneling of the evaluation uh we will start with drew Brees. uh 33 tier one votes tier two votes 17 we kind of know what drew Brees is now i mean the age is a weird thing because every i think there have been so many false alarms about him falling off he just doesn't throw the deep ball anymore and that oh yeah has not has not caught up with him yet well, the, it was interesting. The last couple of years, if you just look at the really deep balls, like the 30 plus air yards, I think he completed two, you know, and in the past yeah. that would have been in double figures. So there's something going on there. But I actually asked people that and they were like, could be more of a function of who he does and doesn't have at the receiver position. Um, I was I thought he might fall more this year, you know, because people, people have been saying that. And then he misses some games last year. But uh, no doubt he, he played well when he played. And so I think that, uh, you know, we're seeing these old guys. Uh, some of them just just be able to keep going. They've made the rules easier for them. They're not getting hit and blasted as much, and you got the continuity. So, I think people are going to wait for Drew Brees to confirm that he can't play before knocking him down into the second tier. Even though we've never seen a generation like this before, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, you know, was winning a Super Bowl in his last year, even though he obviously had his health problems. We've every time Tom Brady throws a pass, he's breaking a record for oldest player to do something. Right? That, yeah. that it's yep. just incredible. Do you get the sense in, inside the NFL that those guys, that that a, a normal run-of-the-mill coach or GM just thinks that this is the new normal, or are they concerned about age, or do they do they bring it up, or are we just in a, in the midst of a generation where you're assumed to be good even if you're in your early 40s or late 30s? I think that they now, instead of, I think they now expect at a higher chance that you can be good longer and even yeah. come back from injuries for some of these guys. Uh, now, if you have a component to your game where you're taking a lot of punishment, you're running, that sort of thing, then you know, that's going to be in the back of people's minds. But I think there's no question in combination with the rules changes I alluded to, right? It's easier to play the position that way. Uh, there's just the senseless hits on guys um, don't take place as much. And so uh, Tom Brady, and look at the conditioning. Just take a take a look at the picture of these guys' faces, whether it's Matthew Stafford. Right. You know how like you got the picture from five years ago when you were out of shape and you got the picture when you're in shape and your face looks different, right? It's an yep. angular face. Well, I see that with these guys. I think we used to see some pudginess sometimes or with the older guy. I think they're taking care of them, their bodies and it's a different deal. The money's so great and you're not getting ear hold uh, that I think we're going to see more guys um, be able to do this longer. I Googled Ben Roethlisberger to see if he was in shape. And I just got a headline that says he's, he's svelte. And I'm, <laughs> I'm withholding judgment on that particular headline. That that's all I'll say about Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, we actually get to Ben in a second. Deshaun Watson. So I, I, he's a tier one for you. He's a tier one for me. He's a tier one for 28 of the people you paneled. Yes. He was in tier two last year. Can you explain to me 
why people are are kind of sleeping on the Texans in the sense that their Vegas odds to win the Super Bowl are on par with the Broncos. I think they're on yeah. par with the Cardinals and the Falcons. And I just don't see it. I mean, I f- from from where I stand, the easiest path to win the Super Bowl when we're, we're reverse engineering after the Super Bowl who won and we're saying, how did this happen? The easiest explanation is normally they had an elite quarterback and the Texans had that. Is this just people conflating Bill O'Brien, the GM with Bill O'Brien, the coach? Yeah. Why aren't people expecting more of Houston when they have this good quarterback? Yeah. It's crazy um, to me. Yeah. I think the reason is because people do think it's a dumpster fire. Otherwise that they're not doing <laughs> enough to help him. that, uh, that even the offense itself could be more enterprising for whatever reason it's not. And that you're taking away his best receiver and you're, and you're mismanaging and the front office and this and that. I think that is a perception that I think that in fact, the reason he's tier one and actually goes ahead of Brady is because people think the house is on fire and he's still having a wonderful dinner, uh, you know, in the house yeah. because yeah. he's just so amazing and he's fireproof and he's the only thing holding this thing together. So I think that is what is going on. And that's probably why people then think, okay, even though he's that great, is he great enough to be able to overcome all that, you know, and have the team be, you know, win in 12 or 13 games. And what do you, do you think that they're, do you think they're actually better as a team around him than that? No, I just think Deshaun Watson is really good. And I also <laughs> think that schematically Bill O'Brien is, is pretty good. It's not like, again, I think yeah. we're conflating Bill O'Brien franchise manager with Bill O'Brien between one and one and 4 PM Eastern time on Sunday afternoons. Deshaun Uh, Watson. I, I agree with you. There, there is a fire and he's fine. You know, I play golf out here in Los Angeles and there are a lot, a lot of times brush fires. And I've heard a lot of stories about people who just, there's a brush fire just, just off the course and people are just, just hitting their shots. They're not going anywhere. They're fine. Fires all around them. You've probably yeah. seen some photos of that there. Yeah. Hey, I, I pay him 50 bucks. I'm going to finish this round. That's Deshaun Watson. He's just cool as can be. Doesn't see anything. You know, I don't know how long this can go for. I don't know what the extension yeah. process looks like, especially uh, with Mahomes getting half a billion dollars. Um, and I don't <laughs> know if that that's an outlier or that he tries to make a ton of money. We will see what happens with Dak there. But I, I think that Deshaun Watson is really freaking good. And I just think he is the type of quarterback, as you say, as per the parameters of this exercise, who can you can win because of because him. of yeah. because he of wills him. that he wills that yes. team, doesn't he? I yes. think that's and the and that last game against Buffalo wasn't their last game, but you're down 16 nothing against a good defense. And it's, it wasn't it's pretty. The, it's the last game they want to remember. Yeah. But it wasn't pretty, was it? I mean, it was not pretty. It was a slugfest. People were, he was getting hit over the head with bottles in the saloon. And he, he staggered out of there with his buddies over his shoulder. And he carried him to the next round. So I think that's why he's tier one. And um, you may have a good point. I mean, that maybe our expectations for that team should be higher because of that. I happen to think that, you know, there's, it's quiet around Indy right now. And I think yep, Indy I has a better that. infrastructure. Um, you talk about a team that I think sort of has the right sort of mix of old school with analytics, right? Like they're into stuff, but they also understand that there's a value to being physical and being built on the lines and all that. And River, they will get the they will get more from Rivers. So the road may be a little harder out of there, but I, I agree with you. And in the defense of Bill O'Brien, I know they had a better defense then, but he had a winning record with freaking Osweiler. Yep. You know, I mean uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, it might've been 500 with them. You know, you know what I mean? So they, they've done, yep. they've done okay there. All right. Roethlisberger. Is there any, is this just a, a, a reputation thing or do they think that I, I think Roethlisberger is actually quite good. 
um, but he d- didn't play last year. And the Steelers' expectations are interesting to me because obviously they they had the fourth or fifth biggest decline in offensive history last year, and they still were in the mix for a playoff spot. I know late late into the year. Uh, what's the book on Roethlisberger when you talk to guys around the league? I think people do think there's been some decline in consistency and there's some concern with him. You know, people used to say about him that the minute he gets hurt, look out because he'll be 300 pounds, right? And that was what you were saying. I need to see if he's really svelte. But um, from what I've seen, just those, you know, quick videos and stuff, um, he doesn't look terrible to me. You know, he looks like he's at least in in shape. So, uh, I but I do think people see him more now as a high two. And, and if you go back, it seems like, Maybe I didn't find this when I looked, but you know, remember he had the five interception game. It seemed like he had, his consistent excellence wasn't. It seemed a little more up and down, but still, you're afraid of him, right? I think that was one of the right. first quotes in the pieces. I'm scared to death to play him. I think there's still that. There's still that on him, but maybe he's just not as quite as consistently excellent as the guys he put in the top tier. And that gets reflected in the perception of him as a guy who is great, wants to be great, but he's not monot he doesn't seem as outwardly maniacal about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like TB 12 or, you know, some of these breeze who, who's probably, you know, sleeping in a special chamber, you know, you know what I mean? So, so I think there's all just a, a maybe a little he, more. He is, not, he is not maniacal about his health. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. So what does that mean for him? Eventually? I think people are a little less, less optimistic, but still a lot of respect. He got 38 votes in tier two, which is pretty good for, after missing a year, but there was, uh, 34 votes in tier two, but he got five threes. So, you know, I think there's some people that want to see it, but most people give him the benefit of the doubt. All right. A couple more here. So break the tie for the 2016 class. We, we flicked at it earlier when we were talking about the 2018 class, but you have Dak, Wentz and golf. I understand the rankings. So you have Wentz 11th and then you have Dak and then you have golf. I think 16th. Yes. Yeah, 16th. What is the book on all three of those guys within the league? And the kind of same question, if they all had to draft one of them for the next decade, who goes first? Okay, if they were going to play 16 games every year, Wentz would be the choice, okay? People think that he can be the best of those three. People think Dak has actually been the best because he's been out there all the time and he's played pretty well, been productive. But the asterisks, a lot of great weapons around him and support, and that has Mm -hmm. helped him. And then Goff, they see as... uh, you know, is it more of the system? Um, yes, he makes some beautiful throws. I don't know that he can do as much to will his team and want to see him do more of that. So I think that's the quick rundown um, on those three. I feel like, yeah, like if I could change a couple things about the orders, I, I might put Dak just ahead of Wentz until Wentz proves it more. Um, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, of um, course. I think I feel like Dak's a little underrated, but I do uh, too. You know, I, I think you could make a case for him being higher, but. I do buy the, you know, I did, this wasn't exactly, you know, going to put me on the stage at Sloan next year, but, but, uh, you know, I just totaled up the number of starts you got by guys who went to a pro bowl. It was a fun column in the off season and Dak's like hundreds. It's like 30% of the the starts by everyone else on offense. Uh, since he's been there has been someone who went to the pro bowl that year and for the jets it's zero. Okay. So there's a huge difference in that makes a big difference if Dak had gone somewhere you know what I mean so there's a component of that whereas I feel like Wentz had that when in their Super Bowl year and he looked great and then it hasn't been quite as good around him since then and he's been banged up and he doesn't look great so there's some of that too all right you have Matt Stafford nine Matt Ryan ten the Matts even though Matthew Stafford does not like to be called Matt 
Make the case that the folks that were giving you tier one votes for those guys were making. Is that just they've seen him, they've seen both of them put up huge numbers before and they think they could be elite in, in the right setup? For Stafford, people, there's people who thought he played, a lot of people, more than the five who gave him tier one, thought he played that level last year and just didn't play the whole year. So you've got a little right. bit of concern on the injury. But um, there's, there's, there's more love for Stafford and everything he can do. And then I'm always like, yeah, but after 10 years, wouldn't you have won a playoff game? I know it's a crappy right. place. Uh, but then, you know, there's one coach since 1973 there who's a non-interim coach who has a winning record, and that's Jim Caldwell. Can you believe that? One coach I also, for the Lions. I mean, I've said this a million times. Jim Caldwell is a damn good coach when you look at the circumstances. I'm very proud of when he got hired and people were crapping on it. I actually wrote a column. Why are people saying this is a bad hire? What, this guy's great. I think he's really good. I'm with you. I, I think that everything that's happened in Detroit since then shows that. And I think that, listen, he's not the best coach in football, but he's damn better than, than a lot of them. And I, I think thought it's Green Bay should have hired him. Anyway, go ahead. I think it's interesting. Yeah, it's an it's a interesting idea. You know, I talked to Daniel Lovsky about this last year, and he said that you know one of the tantalizing things is thinking about what would have happened if Matthew Stafford ever got a Kyle Shanahan or oh. a Sean McVay or someone or an if, God forbid an Andy Reid. They would they you know in 2009 if if Stafford had found his way to to, to Andy Reid, everything is different here, right? If if Andy Reid was if he was his quarterback for all of Andy Reid's career, I don't think he has less Super Bowls than he has now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating test case where just as far as football destiny goes uh, about someone like Matthew Stafford, uh, I take it. People, people find Matthew Stafford to be kind of more of a natural talent. And what's then the take yeah. on Matt Ryan? Uh, Matt Ryan has, has had an MVP season. So he's, yeah, I mean, no, he's obviously, he's been consistent, really good. And I think some people, when they look at that position, it's, can you handle all aspects of it, which is, which is uh, all the pre-snap stuff and a heavy volume. And then when you're yeah. asked to really um, throw the ball, so, um, you know, he's, he's been a borderline pro bowl level player for a long time. And so you may get some guys, you're going to get some guys with a little bit of a wider latitude, um, you know, on what a one is, right. Some guys might have three ones and some guys might have six. So, and one guy might have eight, right. So um, it could be the guy who has more ones uh, pulls in a Matt Ryan. I, I didn't sense any, I think people feel like he's, more in a decline than they do for Stafford and that Stafford sure. was really Stafford's hurt only by some people are like, I just can't give him more than that. Cause he's never won. And some, and then he had the back injury, you know, that's part of it. But I, Stafford, I feel like he's going to be, a, I think there's a lot of people who think Stafford's a one if he's healthy. I'm one of those people. You're never going to ask me to vote, but I am one of those people. You could be hired. You could be hired by a team. It could happen. <laughs> if you get hired by a team, I'm going to have you in the survey. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Every time, every time I just, I, I think about it, like every couple of years, I'm like, you know, what if I went to go for a team? And then I quickly realize that I'm uh, not good at anything. And I feel like that, that. And then I decide that it probably wouldn't be very good. You don't have any relatives that are in teams. Uh, I'm not the son of a coach or a scout, and I, I wouldn't be a good scout. I feel like I would be a good, I could be great at being a GM who just delegates everything. And then like <laughs> once a week, once yeah. a week, I come up with like a meeting. very good, I'm like, I'd be like a, I'd be an ideas guy. Right. But I wouldn't yeah. actually be able to implement anything and we'd be way right. behind on scouting for, yeah, yeah. it's just the yeah, reports. It it's, you don't want to get paycheck bogged down in details. Great, the paycheck, paycheck would be great. great, but you don't want to get that's that's a details oriented job, and it's it's best. And left you can for other keep people. that job forever because you blame all those guys who really made the decision. So it's a good thinking by you. 
I com- completely agree. The best, the best guys are the guys who like almost like Bruce Allen types where they inexplicably become incredibly ingrained in the franchise. And then for like a decade, they're just untouchable. Rich, and they, McKay. They, Rich McKay. Rich McKay. Yeah. I think Rich, Rich McKay at least was, you know, is getting stadiums built and, and is oh, leading the... Oh, I'm not the, saying uh, he doesn't deserve no, it. No, no, right, yeah, yeah. But he's in the... Per- no one is writing about... When they lose a game, no one's like freaking Rich McKay. You know, right. it's going to go to... It's going to go to Quinn. It's going to yeah. go to the Mitch coordinators. Rob. It's going to go to Matt Ryan. It's going to Matt Ryan. It was going to go to Pioli. You know, you know what I mean? It's There's yes. a lot of... It's sort of like, you know, there's a lot of people who have to die before he's the president of the blame. Right, you know, you know what I mean of, of getting the, of getting the blame. So there's an old line in football that implies to other. In fact, I heard it applied to other positions, to not just GM, but it is. A, it should be a GM rule too. Don't be the coach's guy. Be the owner's guy. And <laughs> that's yeah. if you follow that guy, rule, you will stay employed. The owner's guy scares the hell out of the coach, right? Oh, oh that God. guy who's in his ear because they're in, in the, the box. box. They're in the game. In the box, and they can like, say, yeah. "Oh, you know, they shouldn't have done that." The owner goes, "What are we doing?" And then that guy next to him goes, "Yeah." Instead of standing up for the coach, he's like, "I know, yeah. oh, yeah. that ridiculous." <laughs> yeah. Oh man, the owners—you got to watch the owners guy every single time. <laughs> All right, we'll get you out of here on this. You have Kirk Cousins fifteenth. You have Jimmy Garoppolo seventeenth. These guys are tied together in the sense that Kyle Shanahan likes both of them, and at one yeah. point they were both rumored to be the 49ers quarterback, and one of them became the 49ers quarterback. Which one? If you're looking at maybe you hypothetically put them both in Kyle Shanahan's offense or you just put them in a neutral offense, which one is the league generally higher on since we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo recently with Kyle Shanahan and we haven't seen Kirk Cousins with that kind of play caller. Um, Kevin's fancy is very good. Gary Kubiak is very good, but but they're not the elite of the elite as Kyle Shanahan is. I would probably lean towards Garoppolo. You know, I've, I think that people see, and if you watch, if you just kind of watch them play, I think Garoppolo has a little bit more sort of, I don't, you know, is it a, is it a improvisational ability or a wiggle or an all weird arm angle or a, you know, a, a little bit of uh, action to his game, maybe right. A little bit more pizzazz to his throwing that some people uh, may like that said, cousins came in, I know a couple notches higher. I think their, their tiering was just about the same with the difference being, I think there was more of a negative connotation on Garoppolo for the way they handled him in the Super Bowl at the end of the half, right? Not letting him play. And so that sticks in people's minds that in combination with you're in this heavy play action offense, you threw eight passes in the game and really Shanahan would be even happier if you only threw six, right? It's this effort to minimize the position um, that works maybe against both of those guys. But just because probably because Garoppolo's not played as much. I think people would then want to see if he could do more Whereas they feel like Cousins for sure 100% is already what he is. Mike, are we starting the let Garoppolo cook movement? <laughs> uh, we, we might. I think, though, Russell's so much more talented probably in his ability to uh, throw. Let's not, you, let's not get, let's see not get the into upside. details. Yeah, let's not get the into upside. details. Uh, Russell but, Wilson is significantly better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that is... That was, that is telling though when you watch you watch how the yes. coach handles the guy. I don't. I feel like Pete. People feel like Pete would be doing that because it's Pete's system and the way he wants to do it. it was with with Kyle Shanahan. They're like, is that personal towards you know? Is that personal towards this this quarterback of Garoppolo? Yeah, and that was one of the things when we had Warren Sharp on a couple of months ago. Actually, after the draft, is one of the things he looks at at the college level is how often a coach lets a quarterback throw aggressively in yeah. really big situations. And he sees that as 
proxy for a how much their evaluation. You know, it's it's Ed Ogeron and Joe Brady's evaluation if they let if they let Joe Burrow yeah. throw on third and nine versus run a draw play. Then that's that's the simplest you're gonna get. So I think it's fascinating. I think Shanahan's handling of of Garoppolo going forward is going to be fascinating to watch. All right, Mike, yeah. anything we didn't get to that you want to you want to talk about with quarterbacks on this quarterback episode? You know, I got one guy for you that's really yes. interesting to me. One more, so, one more nugget one more for the road. One more nugget. Roll. So, I think purely from a off season checklist standpoint, the Tennessee Titans did what sort of they had to do, right? They mm-hmm. they retained their quarterback in in Tannehill and they re-signed their running back. And I think you know from a thirty thousand feet perspective, we would say, okay, those were a couple guys they need to take care of. That said. You just put a boatload of money, and you're basically going to have Ryan Tannehill for three years. I mean, it's at least a two-year investment, and it bleeds into the third year. Do you want that? Is that a, I mean, he's averaging nine yards. In a, I mean, he's putting up numbers that, like, Mahomes won't do over the course of a season. So he's obviously right. not doing that. He's, he's our regression candidate. In fact, you can go back and <laughs> tease to that when we're talking about who could regress. It's got to be him even though he's probably about what he's been in previous surveys. Right. Yeah. I just, I just don't know if that's a great thing to be so invested in him for so long when we sort of know being invested in a regression candidate quarterback and a running back in general. That's, that's tough. Um, I think that Mike Vrabel is a good coach. I think Arthur Smith's a really good offensive coordinator. I agree with you. The numbers aren't going to be, what they were last year, but I think they can be pretty good. I mean, I think that the one thing we have to remember is that it's not like the Titans magically got, you know, became a 12 win team last year. They, they were still nine and seven, same as they have been for a number of years. So I wouldn't be surprised, especially in that, in that division, if they're a pretty good team this year and just don't make the playoffs. I could definitely see that too. And I think that, you know, in the, I spoke to people that, you know, there were 10 people that put Ryan Tannehill in the second tier. And I know people who were with them in Miami and, you know, there was a feeling there that in Miami, even with Adam Gase there, that they had a couple games where guys rushed for a lot of yards. You know, JHI had a couple 200-yard games, and it was light was starting to come, and people started to think that, you know what, he's going to hit stride. And then injuries and everything fell apart. Did he just sort of get to pick up there this last year, and he hit stride, and he's going to be a Tier 2 guy. I think there's – I don't want to put everything I own on that, but I think that could happen. Yeah. I think it, it, there's some variance there that is fascinating yeah. to watch, and I, yeah. I think it'll be – it's going to be a weird season, Mike. All right, Mike, we're going to have you on again at some point. This was extremely, extremely educational. Thank you. Yeah, I'll do quarterback tiers revisited during the year. Maybe we'll have some. Let's just keep doing that. it <laughs> every week. <laughs> All right, Mike, thanks so much, man. This is great. Thanks. See you, Kevin. Thank you so much for coming on the NFL show, part of our podcast network. 